Welcome into episode eight of the Motown Rundown. As always, your home for all things Detroit sports. I am still Ryan Rabinowitz, coming to you from the Impact 89 FM studios in East Lansing, Michigan. Well, I'll tell you what, we got a pretty loaded show today. And without further ado, I'm just going to cut right to it because we have some very special guests in the studio today. And I'm going to start with my dear friend, Mr. Tino Abarca, who is our resident baseball expert here at Impact Sports. Tino, welcome. I'm glad to be welcomed, Ryan. I'm honored to be here, really. Well, I I know that you were begging, pleading, crying on your knees. Please, please, I, I want to be on the show so bad. So it's great to have you here. Well, you did big league me last weekend. You you well, had to push we, me back a week. That's yeah, that is true. We got a lot to do here on the Motown Rundown. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm ready to get into it. So for those of you who aren't following Tino Abarca and, and his all of his life adventures, Tino is an Illinois native, Tinley Park, Illinois. Correct. Tinley Park, Illinois. See how much I remember. That's how great of that's a friend awesome. I am. Yep, southwest of the city, about 35 minutes. I want to make sure we get that out there. You know, I remember that your birthday, all those all those good things. I actually have no idea what your birthday is, but June fourth. June 4th. I'll remember that. Anyway, so the reason why Tino is here, Tino is a Cubs fan. And Tino, I want to first apologize for uh, my Tigers not beating the Brewers and forcing game 163, which the Cubs lost today, but they're going to be okay. So I'm sorry on behalf of the Tigers. Well, it's not your fault. It's Castellanos' fault for having that ball roll out of his mitt, but we'll get to that. It, that. We will get to that because, oh God, is he brutal in right field. Anywho, Tino has traveled to Comerica Park a few times this, this year as the baseball season has progressed. And I'm sure it's very hard for you to avoid Tiger's gossip. So I wanted to bring Tino in as much as he wanted to be here because he has an interesting perspective on Comerica Park, the city of Detroit, the fan base, etc. So, Tino, I'm going to let you drive. Give me give me your uh, your take on Comerica. Give me your take on the city, baseball in Detroit, all that good stuff. Let's hear it. As you prefaced, Ryan, I'm from Chicago. I'm a Cubs fan. So... Wrigley Field is one thing. It's historic. It's it's everything I guess you want in a baseball stadium. Well, not me actually. I go to Comerica Park. I've been there twice. Um, earlier in the season, Yankees versus Tigers, and then just this past um, their final game against the Royals, which heck of a matchup, right? I like Comerica Park. It has a lot of food places. It has enough to get you know some drinks. It has multiple washrooms. It's easy to get around. It has an upper deck with a really nice bar. It had a fireplace, TVs up there. I mean, listen, baseball is losing fans. And what you want in a stadium is, I think, what Comerica has. Now, I've been to a lot of other stadiums. I've been to AT&T Park in San Francisco. That's just, that's beautiful. But when you go into a stadium, you you, you just want things to do. You don't go there all the time to watch baseball and especially in the Cubs sense where you have you know a ton of you know executives and working in downtown Chicago you know they don't go all the time for for baseball but they're forced to sit in their seat because there's nothing else to do there's nowhere to move so uh, talking to some some diehard Tigers fans oh it doesn't matter if they have a you know a carnival like setup it doesn't matter if they have you know it doesn't matter how you know how many bars they have it doesn't matter the baseball team isn't good well I think differently I, I just think that it's it gets over. I think their stadium gets a little bit overlooked, and you know people just jump to say, "Oh, you know, you have Wrigley Field, you know, in your in the arm's reach, so you know you shouldn't like America Park." Uh, I I don't like that stance, and just just you know going to the final home op- uh, final home game of the season against the Royals, it was an awesome. It was beautiful weather, and it was a football Sunday. They play the Patriots. At home at Ford Field, so you know if I had a little bit more money, I would have double dipped. I would have gone to Tigers and Lions. I, I couldn't, I didn't, but um, it, it was an awesome atmosphere, really. Like I said, it was it was awesome weather. There was people out tailgating by the time we were out of the the Tigers game. Um, it was it looked lively, and you know I've been to Detroit one other time um, just to pass through there, and it, and it looked dead. It looked like there was you know nothing going on. There was looked like a ghost town and. That day too, there was some nice weather. So why aren't why isn't there people out? You know, getting something to eat, whatever. Um, but I, the, my multiple experiences in Detroit have been positive. I think it gets a bad rap. Being from Chicago, again, people say, "Well, you have Chicago. You know, what are you going to Detroit for?" Well, there's a lot of things to like about Detroit. 
Good, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because in full transparency, I had no idea what you were going to say before the show. So I'm glad that it was a lot of good things. So I, with that being said, I have to ask, with your perception, obviously not being here, your perception of the fan base and I guess the fans' involvement with the team, not just the Tigers, but maybe other teams across the board, where do you think the city compares to like a, you know, like a Boston or New York or even Chicago for yourself? I think they're a lot more down on themselves, and I, I don't think it's just with the Tigers. I think that's with just some of the way the teams are trending in Detroit these days. Um, they, a lot of negative things on Twitter, a lot of negative things just on social media, period. And, and when I went to those Tigers games, there wasn't, there wasn't much of a crowd. And I, there's one beef I do have, Ryan. I do want to get this off okay, my chest. Okay, let's hear it. Again, I went to the final home game against the Royals, and it was Fan Appreciation Day. I think it was just Fan Appreciation Weekend for that series. I didn't feel appreciated. Really? I didn't feel appreciated. Huh. They had giveouts. They had you know random contests, giveaways, raffles, whatever. But Fan Appreciation Day, you you, you gotta hand something out through the gates, right? I uh, mean, yeah, you gotta I hand out maybe some, you know, if. You know, so, you know, a certain car wins on on the video board. You sure. get a free donut or something from Tim Hortons. I, I didn't get that. Sure. So I expected to walk in and and feel appreciated on Fan Appreciation Day, especially the last day, and that didn't happen. So that's my one beef. But listen, it's understandable that Tigers fans don't, you know, aren't super excited and just lining up outside of Comerica. That's understandable. But uh, I think they have a lot to to like about Comerica, they have a lot to like about Detroit, and once this team gets better, you know, those seats should be packed. Did you happen to uh, ride the Ferris wheel at all, or the merry-go-round? I did not. I didn't meet the height requirements really? for that. Oh, yeah, man. for those listening, if you don't know who <laughs> I am, I'm I'm not. I'm height-challenged, so. Well, you know what? I'll have to send an email, because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate the fact that you weren't appreciated on Fan Appreciation Day, but... Hey, man, I'll tell you what, it, it's good to hear that, that you enjoyed the city and enjoyed the ballpark because I'll tell you what, I mean, maybe I am biased because I'm from here, but I absolutely love the city of Detroit. I think you're right. It, it gets a bad rap, and granted, the teams aren't great, so you know it's not easy to draw people downtown. But speaking of the teams not being great, now since you are a baseball guy and the Tigers season is over, thankfully, I want to talk some baseball. And we have even more special guests, starting with Mr. Ryan Collins. Ryan, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. And Mr. <laughs> Trent Bailey. How are you, Trent? Doing well. Thank you. Good. Awesome. So let's talk Tigers. Finished 64-98. and Somehow finished third in the AL. Comedy Central. Um, admittedly, to as far as the show's concerned, the Tigers took a bit of a back seat. I don't think there was a ton to say that hadn't already been said as the year went on. Um, Tino, I'll start with you as an outside-looking-in type guy. Who do you like on this Tigers team, if anyone, that you think the Tigers need to keep on to and could be a future face of the franchise for years to come? Well, I, listen, there's not many guys that you want to keep on this roster. You look <laughs> up and down, and it's just you, you see some guys, Victor Reyes, and some, a lot of these guys belong in, in uh, some minor league organizations. But <laughs> listen, Dawalugo, he is he's an infielder from Dominican Republic. He's not necessarily a guy that's been around for a while. He made his major league debut on August 30th when uh, Candelaria went on the DL. But he's young, he's up and coming, he's a contact guy, which is what I like. And one thing I don't like about Candelario, but that's also one guy you got to keep. And I'll I'll touch on him in just a second. But I do like Lugo. Um, he's Again, he's a contact guy, had good averages in the minor leagues. Um, infielder, I, I don't think there's much competition in the infield. And, and he's he's young, he's young. He's 23, so he'll have, a lot, he'll have all the time in the world to develop. Candelario, obviously you got to hang on to him. Um, really no interest in dumping him or moving him down. 224 hitter, 19 bombs. Knocked in 54, played 144 games, which is a good amount. Um, strikes out a lot, 160 times. Um, and I wasn't big on him when he played for the Cubs. Um, I didn't mind the trade to sure, Detroit. Sure. And I think I kind of revoked that statement today with Justin Wilson picking up the <laughs> loss. Sorry, sorry again. Uh, that's all good. So, um, having said that, I think Castellanos, that's one guy where we always hear some trade, you know, trade swirls. He's got to go. Um, the, the Tigers need prospects. Um, and Michael Fulmer, I think the Tigers kind of wasted his trade value quite a bit. Um, I don't think he'll be, I mean, obviously, you know, the phone's always, always picked up to listen because um, that's one guy that you can maybe get some return for, but. 
He's also had some DL stints, you know, had an oblique injury. So I don't know how tradable he is, but if, if he is tradable, you can't get a ton out of him. I do think you should get some some pitching prospects for Castellanos. And, and if there's one thing I'm, I'm trying to get into the scouting world, Ryan, um, there's one thing in the scouting world. It's there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. There's just, they're... You'd never know with them. They're sure. always getting hurt. And if sure. you look on the south side of Chicago with Michael Kopech, he was supposed to be the next big thing, and he was for a couple of weeks. He was for a couple of starts. Um, Tommy John surgery. So we'll right. see how that shakes out. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see Castellanos get traded, and maybe just wait till till twenty nineteen trade deadline. That's when teams get kind of you know antsy, and they they'll they'll dump some prospects for for guys. Um, they'll get desperate, and it. He's signed through 2020, so Castellanos has some some kind of value there. They'll get him as a rent, not necessarily a rental. They'll get him the rest of 2019 and a full year after after that. That's that's valuable. Yeah, definitely a name around here that's been, you know, people are kind of on the fence of you know whether he goes or stays, and we'll definitely get into that more in depth before we wrap up Tigers talk. But Collins, for you, any guys at all that you think absolutely need to stay for this Tigers organization? Uh, I would say no. I think they have a lot of guys in the system that are going to be important to their future. They got a lot of pitching prospects. The one thing I would disagree with Tino is on Nick Cassianos, I think they got to get more positional players, hopefully in the outfield, because you only got Matt Boyd there who doesn't have a bat, good fielder, strikes out even more than Jamer Candelario. I do like Candelario. I do think he's going to have interest, injury concerns the way he swings the bat. He kind of like flips his wrist over. It's kind of a weird like set up uh, at the plate, but he's had a good glove. So he's not a special player, though, that's going to get you to the places you need. He's the fifth-best player on a World Series team. Yeah, Col- Collins, I do agree that they need – I mean, they, really, they need everything. Yeah. But, you know, looking at Casey Mize, that was their first-round pick this year. He's been shut down um, in the minor leagues because he's, well, just arm fatigue. Yeah. I mean, that's been a, a running thing with him at Auburn for Team USA. That's – that's been kind of a uh, the they staple so far. They did that with so Fado far. too last year. Alex Fado, who's also in the system. Mm-hmm. And but Fra- the thing about their pitching prospects, a lot of them are hurt. Franklin Perez got him for Justin Berlander. He's been injured. That was their big piece. They thought he, they were going to have him next year. Doesn't look like that. Fado's philosophy's been down this year. He's throwing ninety three, ninety five at Florida. Now he's throwing ninety, ninety two. That's a little concerning. And Bur- Bo Burrows and Matt Manning, the two high school kids, they don't look like they're going to be up yet. So it's Early in the year, the Tigers gave the fans a little optimism, and that optimism's kind of flipped as the back half of the year happened. So it's a little bleak if you're a Detroit Tigers fan. Uh, Trent, anyone for you that you think the Tigers absolutely have to hold on to as this rebuild continues? Uh, I'll tell you what, Ryan. I really like Nico Goodrum. Um, you're looking at a young guy who hit 245, 16 home runs, 53 RBIs. Kind of, emer- kind of emerged as a young star, had a few clutch hits, can play multiple positions, but... After that, I don't know. I feel like it's time to go into full rebuild. Yeah, you know, I Nico Goodrum is definitely a name that that I've been very curious about because I feel like, you know, he's one of those guys that coming in, I don't think he was really expected to be here long term. I mean, he was almost like a fill in guy, and he has some experience in the pros. But you know, I I'd have to agree with you guys in a sense of it's hard for me to pull names of guys I want to stay. I mean, I always hear you know, oh, you know, Matt Boyd's got to stay. He's a guy that you can't trade and. And Daniel Norris, who I'm really at my wits end with him too. But I mean, Trent, I'm going to kick it back to you. As far as names like a like a Norris or a Boyd or even Fulmer or Castellanos, what is one piece that you think the Tigers need to absolutely trade before this rebuild can continue any further? Um, I think Michael Fulmer just has to go. I I personally like him. I don't know who doesn't, but Matthew Boyd again. I mean, it's hard to retool a pitching rotation. Like history shows, you got to carry over some starters, but. Fulmer's 25 years old. He's got upside. I think now is the time. Like you said, they kind of dwindled down the trade market when they waited too long, but phone's always ringing for guys like that. I think there's a market for him. you got to get some position players, like Colin said. And I think I think Fulmer is probably the best piece you have at this point. Collins, give me a name that's got to go. Uh, I would agree with Fulmer, but with his injury in the knee, and Darton Hire says it's going to take a long time for him to get back, that's going to be interesting. I don't think they're going to be able to get rid of him at winter meetings, so look for next year's deadline. But I would say Cassianos because I think he's not going to be around here. He's going to be out of his prime before we are able to get this thing rebuilt. So you might as well get some players. 
And I like the way the Cubs built their organization personally. They got a bunch of position players. You got Javi Baez, Chris Bryant. They have all sorts. And then you go out and get older pitching after, and you trade some of those prospects. That's the way I liked how they did that. And I would hope Detroit would do it that way, but they historically have never done that. They've built through free agency, and their farm system's bad. But I think Castellanos is the guy who's had to go first. Yeah, I agree with that. You're going to get the most for Castellanos, whether that's pitching, whether that's a bat. So he's he's definitely the one that Alvila should be looking to trade. Now, before we wrap up Tiger's talk, and I guess it's kind of a two-part question, because one, I want to touch on Miggy, because Miggy is obviously a name who people bring up and go, you know, half the people it seems like are, all right, you know, he's got to go. He, he's done a good job here, but, he, you know, he still has some value left. He's not part of this rebuilding process. And the other half, I think, is like, no, you got to keep Miggy around. He's a great leader inside the clubhouse. He still can produce if he's healthy. So the first part of the question I want to ask is, does Miggy have a place on this team in the future? And the second part of that is, you know, I guess it they're related in a sense, just to wrap it up here, is this rebuild on the right track and maybe you think it is with Miggy or it's not without Miggy or whatever if that made any sense what I just said but (laughs) Tino I'll I'll start with you where does Miggy have a place on this team if any and is this rebuild going in the right way for the Tigers it does have a place I think it's in the locker room you know you're not teaching these guys to be boy scouts you're teaching them to hit you know what I mean so I think that's definitely where his value comes in um he's done it before he's been around he's 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 done it all, so he's he's a stud. You got to keep him around. The rebuild, you don't necessarily build around him, but you got to keep him around. And I think it's, I, I think the rebuild is is not on the wrong path. Maybe not on the right path. They have names again. I mean, Collins just touched on yeah. a lot of the pitching prospects, which I have listed here because I did a, you know, a ton of research, and they have names. That's for sure. Um, but whether they pan out, that's that's another thing. So I, I think you're. You know, Alvila is doing the right thing. I think they're they're drafting the right guys, but whether they pan out doesn't. You know, sometimes it doesn't always fall on the GM. It was a good point though, Tino, with uh, Cabrera in the locker room and helping guys out with their uh, mechanics in the box. You saw JD Martinez, a guy who was basically a bum in Houston, come to Detroit with that locker room with Victor Miguel, and he was able to work on it. He learned how to hit the ball opposite field because Midi. That's when Midi's bread is buttered. So. I think that's a really good point. But I think Miggy is a part of this rebuild. I think they're going to move him to DH after Victor's gone. Probably see Cassiano's move to first base. But they, they're not. there's nothing they can do. He's going to be a part of this rebuild with the money they owe him. And either the fans want him or they don't, which they should because he was probably the best Detroit athlete in the last 20 years, in my opinion. So he's going to be a part of the rebuild, but they don't have much option otherwise. I agree with both of you guys, and Collins, that's an interesting point you bring up about the salary because, I mean, I, I, at this point I don't see the harm in keeping them around. It's almost like would you rather have, you know, the trade market for Miggy is going to be, would you rather have a, a, a draft pick and a prospect or would you have his wisdom in the locker room help get some of these young guys right? And maybe this is wishful thinking, but it, if, it's a big if, if Miggy can stay healthy, um, he can transition to DH, sort of be a little bit of what David Ortiz was late in his career for the Red Sox and – if we get lucky and this rebuild gets going, you got a good roster. You know he could he could come up with some big hits. De- definitely tough to lose Miggy at the point in the year they did because I think that the Tigers were on a track where obviously they weren't most likely weren't going to make the playoffs. But having Miggy in that lineup, the team was still fighting back in games and and what have you. So obviously for Detroit fans, not a great season for the Tigers. But hey, I mean, can you blame them? This is this is what they are and. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of years. I think everyone is is optimistic to a, to an extent because I don't think, at least in my time being alive on this earth, I haven't really been involved in a in a rebuilding process. So I'm excited to see the Tigers moving forward. Tino, I appreciate you coming on, giving us your insight on Comerica Park, the city of Detroit, always with your wisdom with with baseball. And I look to have you on again soon. Ryan, thanks for having me. I know you were bracing yourself. You were kind of you know, bracing yourself for a hit, but I take care of you, don't worry. It turned out all right. <laughs> Tino Abarca, ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you. Now, as we move on to the second sport here in the city of Detroit, which will be the Detroit Pistons. And the reason oh, why we're God. doing Pistons, because I truly did not plan on doing Pistons talk today, but Mr. Ryan Collins sent me a text message today and said, hey, man, I got something to say about the Pistons. I need to do it. So... 
I have some some questions towards the end here that I want to get into because I I think that what you're going to say isn't exactly optimistic or positive. But hey, we don't have a lot of optimistic or positive <laughs> things to say here with this team. So go ahead, give me what you got. So last year they brought Reggie Jackson back for the last ten games of the year. He was out with a pretty severely sprained ankle. They were having a good year with him, so they shut him down, and he comes and plays the last ten games. And training camp starts this week. He comes in completely out of shape. They said he was resting that knee soreness, which is fine. They, I understand that. You got to get that cleaned up. You got to be healthy. But I'm looking at the director of like at, I'm director of training. They don't have one. It's like <laughs> insane. Like a major professional team like that. They're ha, don't have. Ugh. The thing that makes me so upset about the Detroit Pistons is. There's a lack of care in that organization. Doris isn't around here. They didn't even hire a real GM. They just hired Stefanski, who was in the organization with Bauer and with SVG. It's They're not turning the page. I just don't understand how you don't have the stru- structure what is needed to make a successful team when you're rebuilding and you don't have a director of trainer. You have a consultant. You have a guy who used to be the director of training here. You say, oh, just consult him how to stretch out players and stuff. Reggie Jadson is a vital piece of this team, and if he's not there, they're clearly not making the playoffs because Ish Smith's not getting it done. So that's all I have to say. I just think it's <laughs> unbelievable they have not hired that position yet. No, it, it is it is an interesting point because I think, like as you said, the gripe for a lot of people with this Pistons team has been you know, where is the upper management? Where is the responsibility? And as you said, you know, I, I hear it all the time on sports talk in Detroit on the radio is, you know, Tom Gores, he's never around. He doesn't seem to care about the team, whatever people think he's going to sell the team later on. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of questions and obviously without having a GM and a coach for a pretty long period of time in the off season, it's, it's they didn't have a GM or a coach a week before the draft this year. Exactly. So it, it is outrageous and it is you know interesting that you bring up that point so I mean with that being said and obviously we'll get into the Pistons a lot more as the season progresses because I truly think this is a team worth talking about probably the most interesting in the city right now exactly so I'll start with you Trent because you're a Pistons guy what are your expectations for this team going into the season well you got a new coach um actually coach of the year last year Dwayne Casey he's going to bring some winning culture here might be a few growing pains at the beginning of the season, but honestly, I I got a lot of faith in this team. I'm optimistic. If um if Jackson is healthy, I mean, it's going to be the first time that Andre Drummond, Blake Griffin, and Reggie Jackson have gone at it for a full season. Um, they got lots of perimeter shooting, which Casey excelled with in, in Toronto. Reggie Bullock had the second highest three point percentage in the entire league last year at 44 and a half, and Luke Kennard just had the best three point percentage in Pistons rookie history, and he was actually 19th in the entire league. And then you had Glenn Robinson the third, who will probably be a fan favorite here, coming from uh, Ann Arbor. It was a good pickup, though. Yeah, I, I agree. Good I agree. Um, that'll give Stanley Johnson some competition, um, and hopefully fire him up. I'm just overall, I'm pretty, I'm pretty optimistic about this team. I think Boston, Philly, and Toronto will most likely be the top three in the East, and after that, you know, with LeBron out now, I don't think the Pistons have anything to fear. I think it'll probably be, you know, Milwaukee, Detroit, Miami, maybe Charlotte, New York, if Porzingis is healthy competing for those four, five, six, seven spots in the East. So I expect a competitive season with a uh, with a motivated roster. Collins, what about you? I agree with that, and I liked how that point, how Glenn Robinson did motivate Stanley Johnson. He needs that. He is the guy that they drafted. His rookie year was very promising. He's averaged nine points. He averaged nine. I'm, he aver- he's been averaging 8.7 points his whole career. That guy needs to be a 15-per-game guy. Yeah. And with Dwayne Casey, the thing he's been really good with is player development. So guys like Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, and DeLon Wright. Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, bunch yeah. of second-round pits. And Stanley Johnson is a high-talented guy. Mr. California, and that's a prestigious award in the game of basketball. He's got to be better. And if he, I hope they let him play through his mistakes because SVG was known. He takes a couple bad shots. Short he's been, Yeah, he's getting yes. yanked. Yes. He's, and... You saw that Henry Ellison, too. Hopefully he gets on the floor more. But the thing to look at with this Pistons team is if Reggie's not to start the year, who's going to play point guard? It's going to be interesting if they have Kennard kind of not play point guard, just hand the ball off the Blake and have point Blake and Andre. A little interesting there. 
the whole Andre's going to shoot threes thing that they're all going <laughs> off on a media day. I don't know about that. He shot 60% from the free throw line. Let's hold our horses a little bit. But I think I would agree they're going to be competitive, and I don't. I think they'll eat on the bottom of the East, but I think they're going to be right around that Vegas line of 37 wins, and it'll be interesting if that gets in the eighth seed in the East. Yeah, you know, I, I would actually probably have to lean more towards Trent here with him saying, you know, the, like the four or five seed, it really is a toss up towards the end of that East. I, and maybe I'm crazy, but I mean, Dwayne Casey is a proven coach. Granted, you, you, there's people on, you know, different camps as far as, you know, he's been mediocre in the NBA or, you know, he got lucky with a good team, what have you. I think he's a good coach. And I think, as you mentioned, Collins, I mean, as far as Stanley Johnson goes, he never from the start liked, like Stanley or he never liked Stan Van Gundy as far as oh, the relationship no. between Stanley and, and Stan Van. I, I think that, and Trent said, short leash all the time. And so all those mistakes that he was making, you know, he'd get pulled from the game. And he's a guy who truthfully deserves to play minutes and I think can develop into a great NBA player. But yeah, I mean, a 4-5 seed in the East, this team on paper is solid. And I, I really think that they can get it done. And do I have expectations for this team to go win a championship? Absolutely not. But they're interesting. That, yeah. They're interesting. Right. You can say more about them than maybe the Red Wings or right. the Tigers right now. So right. they're interesting. Yeah. That's a, and hey, Red Wings, great segue. Because yeah. as I said, Professional I, know, over I, know, I know Trent's probably chopping at the bit because he's a Pistons guy. And we will definitely talk Pistons and have Trent on to talk Pistons as the year goes on. But I'm going to jump into the Red Wings for a second before we hit the Lions because we'll be talking about the Lions forever, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh. So Red Wings, great preseason. 7-1 and one in the preseason. They opened the season on October 4th at home against the Blue, Dra- Blue Jackets. Oh, and I should add, too, Pistons open up their season, their preseason, at, that is October 3rd against the Thunder. Day after, October 4th, Red Wings host the Blue Jackets in the regular season opener. Red Wings cut the roster to 25 today, which is what you roll into with the NHL season. Notable moves for the Wings include Philip Zadina, Red Wings first-round pick this year. He was assigned to Grand Rapids, which is big news because Zadina's only 18 years old, and most guys at 18 get sent back to their junior teams if they aren't the rare case that makes the NHL roster. And Zadina going to Grand Rapids in the AHL is rare in itself, and it's due to some contractual thing with Zadina and his junior team that I don't really understand. It's not really worth explaining because you have to be 20 to play in the AHL, but whatever. He's playing in the AHL, which is going to be great for him to get some time playing against, I mean, the best athletes in the world, some of the best athletes in the world and best hockey players there is that obviously aren't at the NHL level yet. Uh, other news, other moves going to Grand Rapids, Giovanni Smith, Dominic Turgeon, Vili Sayari will play a full season in Grand Rapids now. And three names going on waivers for the Red Wings, Matt Pumple, Dylan McIlrath, and Luke Wachowski. Luke, Luke, Luke Wachowski was the only one to clear waivers but not be assigned as Pumple and McIlrath were assigned to Grand Rapids. Still up in the air, Blashill said that he's not quite sure what he's going to do with Wachowski yet. The Red Wings do have a pretty decent amount of injuries going into that opening night. Uh, Mike Green, Cronwall, Erickson are all out going into that first game. So guys like Joe Hicketts, Philip Ronick will remain on the roster for now. Evgeny Sveshnikov was a name, too, that was up in the air going into the season. I think a lot of people really believed he was going to make the NHL roster. And truthfully, he had no reason not to. But he's currently on IR, so we'll see where, where he lands. But the team's currently carrying 14 forwards, 9 defensemen, 2 goalies. I guess another thing to mention, too, is Joe Valeno, who is the 30th pick for the Wings uh, in that first round. Uh, He was sent back to his junior team in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And for some reason, people were really upset with this. But look, the kid's 18 years old. He's an anomaly of a hockey player because he was granted exceptional status when he was 15 or whatever. So, I mean, look, he's 18 years old. He's not in the same Zadina situation. So I don't think he's NHL ready. But I remember watching him at the development camp, and this kid can straight up play. So, yeah. I'll, I'll get all that's that's all for my yeah. factual transaction stuff, and and I, I guess we'll do the same thing with the Pistons. And I'll start with you, Trent. What is your expectation for the Red Wings this year? So you got a you got a team that finished 27th overall in the NHL last year. I, I feel similar how I felt about the Tigers. I don't think there's much. Um, there's not much of a chance they take a step back. Um, I got a good feeling about Zadina. I think he might end up making some noise at some point this season, I hope. But um, I think they'll sell some tickets in Little Caesars Arena, and honestly, I like the forward core they got. They got a lot of young guys who can skate and score. Um, 
but um, I'm pretty, I'm optimistic. I don't know. Let's take a step forward, for sure. I think with the Red Wings, it's like Sedina going down. I would have really liked to see him play his rookie year, but I think it's contract where they can keep him under team control for another year or two if they send him down to Grand Rapids. But I think you got to look at Mantha and Larkin as the two guys that this whole season really depends on because Mantha and Larkin both have the capabilities to be top six guys in this league. Mantha put in 24 last year. Larkin led the team in assists. And Larkin, if he wants to get to see this year, I think he's going to have to show more commitment on the defensive end of the ice. I think he was more of a one-way player. He was minus nine last year. And especially in OT, you saw him get you saw him get embarrassed in a couple of games last year that cost sure. him wins games. Sure. So I looked at Mantha and Larkin to be the guys that need to step up. But as you look at this team, that Atlantic division is so brutal up at the top. Yep. It's so I don't see them having a better record. I would like this team to maybe unlike last year, don't ruin their opportunity to get the number one pick in the draft. Let's tank for one year and see because that's the only really way to rebuild if you get one of these superstar kids like Dallin, Eichel, Matthews, and McDavid. That's really the only way you get a quick rebuild. Yeah, it's it's interesting that that's that that's the perspective you take. And I think that you're you are not alone in that opinion of you know this is a year that you're not going to have any kind of mobility upwards as far as and I agree with Trent. You're not. I don't think you're taking any steps back with this team. But you know, I, I could I could really I truthfully could see. The Wings sneaking into the playoffs as an eight seed, immediately getting swept. But as you said, I, I it's not, it's really not the end goal. And for the past handful of years, despite that was you know, the goal exactly like the past couple of years, you know, the Wings haven't made the playoffs. Period. But you know, Ken Holland has been on this train of, oh, like, let's just make the playoffs so we can sell more tickets and Keep not the go anywhere. Going. Yeah. Exactly. The street, yeah. Which is just, it, it's not the right way to play it. As far as my expectations. You know, expect to sell at the deadline. You know, I, you appreciate the time you have left with Cronwall because I think this could be his last year. And he's got one knee, right? He's, he's literally on playing knee. on one leg. This is most, for all intents and purposes, probably his last year. And he's not even starting the season on the opening night roster because he's because he's hurt right now. And I agree with. I, I want to see Zadina play in the NHL this year, and I think he will get time. But Red Wings, obviously, they're opening their season this week, and we will get into them a lot more. And so now we have to do what I dread doing every show because usually it's never good things to say. And we're going to talk Lions for however long we have to so I can leave the studio today and not want to drive off a cliff. Because, (laughs) And I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad that I got to bring you guys in because you guys, exactly, we can have a therapy session. You guys are both Lions guys. You both know football very well. So... Just to kick it off, Lions losing on the road, 26-24. to The Cowboys on Sunday, they dropped to 1-3 and on the year. Some quick stats. Stafford was 24 for 30 through the air, 370 yards, two touchdowns. Grabbing those two touchdowns was Golden Tate. Eight grabs for 132 yards. Initial reaction to the game. Uh, for me, I guess I'll kick it off. I was very, very disappointed. And I want to hear what you guys have to say when I'm done on my soapbox. Whether you were <laughs> mad, upset, is it inexcusable? I was just flat out disappointed because I, ugh, Lord, I can I, see the pain in your face. Well, it's right just now. like this dude, one hurt. This I one hurt a lot. I don't know what to think of this team anymore because I came on this show after Week One and said, "Listen, it's Game One." Don't stop believing. I was selling hope like I always have to do with this team. And then I had to do the same thing for game two because game two, I sat here and I said, you know what? The Lions are going to go to San Francisco. It's a beatable team. They'll win that game and everyone will forget about game one. So I had to sit here on game two and I had to critique everyone that would come out and say, the season's over. This team is garbage. Nothing's changed. Because again, in my opinion, which I know is different than a lot of people's in the city, it was only game two, so I didn't want to give up. It's, and then you go out and not only beat, you pretty much kill the Patriots. And so, I mean, everyone was like, this is the Lions we've been waiting for. Everything's changed now. They're going to go win 10 straight games. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And then you come to the Cowboys. And if game three wasn't pivotal enough when talking about the Patriots, the Lions had a real opportunity this game to go out and if there were any haters off in the distance or any criticizers of, you know, that that was a fluke win, 
to completely shut them up. Go on the road to Dallas. Not an easy place to play. And granted, that Dallas Cowboys team is not a good football team. I will say that right now. But you get killed with penalties. Yep. Three defensive holding penalties on one drive. And the defense looked pretty dang bad. And the one play that killed me was at the end of the game on that, the, it might have been the last drive for the Cowboys, when Jared Davis gets caught covering Ezekiel Elliott <laughs> yeah, for some reason. And, yards. And we all know well, exactly what. Right. I, I, I literally watched Jared Davis You're run like, out there oh, and go, okay, that's great. You know, the game's <laughs> over. And I, I guess the big thing, too, and I'll, I want to touch on this a bit later as a, as a full topic, but, I mean, Jim Bob Cooter drives me absolutely up a wall. It takes him three quarters and into a rhythm. Two episodes ago, I said <laughs> this guy needs to go. I I want him. I've never for a second liked the offense that he's run. That's great, Matthew Stafford. That like you know, oh, I I love Jim Bob Cooter. It's great. Yeah, probably because he lets you throw the ball a hundred times a game because <laughs> he refuses to run the ball. I said it last week. Carry on Johnson for the first time in ages rushes over a hundred yards, and in week one and week two. The Lions ran the ball for a total, not just on Johnson, <laughs> for a total of like 15 to 16 times, maybe. Last week when Johnson went over 100, they ran it for a total of 32 times. Do you see where I'm going with this? This week they ran it for like 18 times. I, I don't understand why this team refuses to run the ball. You saw last week that on Johnson is a legit NFL running back. Saw this week, too. Exactly. and it, it, He has his first touchdowns of, of his career. and Kills he's actually Joel, Joel Heath. He's moving the ball. And that's great. Like, LeGarrette Blunt's a sweet name to have on the team. <laughs> I don't care to see him run the ball every down. I don't. He's slow. He's ineffective. And the offensive scheme in general is just so bland and tired and ineffective, and teams literally know what plays are being run before they're ran. (laughs) So it's just so frustrating to me. And when I mentioned about what I want to cover earlier, I bring up the SOL and the same old Lions narrative, and I keep seeing these flashes, and maybe it's why I'm so frustrated because – they make all these strides. You know, they improve the Patricia comes in and you think it's going to be a new culture, new team. He brings his guy in on defense. He brings in some defensive players you think are going to actually make some noise. They dra- they have a pretty solid draft this year. They clearly make efforts to bolster up the running game. And then they take those steps back to being same old Lions with the penalties, with the lack of the run game and stuff like that. So before I move into other topics... Trent, give me your, as long as it takes for you to get this out, (laughs) what was your, when you're watching that game, your initial reactions, your thoughts on what happened on Sunday? Um, (laughs) That one hurt a lot because, you know, one and three and two and two, the difference is dramatic. Um, But overall, the offense looked, they looked all right. I mean, Golden Tate had probably arguably the best game of his career. I mean, he caught 132 yards, two touchdowns. Just showing up, Dude's guys, too. Just embarrassing, catch, guys. Like, <laughs> but um, I don't know if you guys saw, but Marvin Jones, Kenny Calladay, and uh, Golden Tate are now the only trio of teammates in the NFL to have at least 50 receiving yards each in every game. So, like, I would just love for the Lions to not blow this. You know, you got you got a great you – Stafford's got some weapons. And um, it just it, – it, I, I was not pleased with the offense. Granted, on paper, they didn't look too bad. But like you said, Ryan, the run game. Can, can we just run it a little bit more, please? Thank you. you you gotta you gotta slow. You gotta control. T- Did you see the time of possession for the Cowboys in the second half? I don't have the numbers, but it was it was embarrassing. It's yeah. every year with yeah. this team, mm-hmm. though. It's, every year you, you have to run the ball. You have to control. You saw what happened last week against a really good Patriots team when you control the tempo, a wire to wire win. So you know they go to Cal- they go to Jerry World. It's a hard place to win. I get it, but you can't let Ezekiel Elliott catch eighty eight yards. You know what I mean? Seriously, it, it's it's ridiculous, and he probably had the best game of his career, arguably. Seriously, so you can't. He was a you beast. Just, and and yet we still lost by two. So it's <laughs> it's just it's that's how bad the Cowboys are. That's how bad the Lions played on defense on Sunday, but. I got to tell you, Ryan, I'm not quite out on this team yet because I know that in 2016 the Lions started 1-3 and three and they made the playoffs at 9-7 and seven because they won eight of their next nine. So if there's one thing we know about Matt Stafford, you know, he's he's never out of it. He's always – he can get hot. He'll go on streaks. 
And um, you know, you look forward. We got Aaron Rodgers at home. I don't, I don't think the Packers are that good. I'm waiting for them to fall off a cliff. <laughs> um, I think the Vikings are extremely overrated. This division's wide open at this point, honestly. But Ryan, guess how many uh, carries Terrion Johnson had? Well, I want to say he had like nine carries or something. He had nine carries, and what was his first? A 35-yard right. run. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly. unbelievable that they that Ladarius Blunt was even getting touches in that first half. Yep. But I think they went away from a run once Lane got that concussion. Mm-hmm. TJ Lane. I mean, that offensive line looked really, really good last week. The thing I don't get on this offensive line: Why is Rad now not playing center? Why is the uh, you draft a center in the first round who looks to be a mauler, a beast, and you're didn't gonna play allow gla- a sack in four years at Arkansas? Yeah, yeah, exactly. under, yeah and they're yeah. gonna put Glass out center, who is not a bad piece. He's a good old lineman, but he played at guard last year. I don't understand them taking the rookie out of his comfort zone this early. I think that could help them, but the receiver towards the top top five corner in the league, Galladay has been unbelievable this year. Yep. His hands are he last year he looked like a body catcher. This year he's grabbing balls out of the air at its apex. Stafford played really well, made a lot of really good throws at the end. But my main takeaway is that how did they not make more moves in the offseason on the D line? I was saying this last like during the draft, Radnow is a nice piece to go best player available, but you gotta get help on that D line. And especially moving to a three four I think the steam doesn't fit this personnel. As Ashawn was a beast last year, he's probably our best player on the interior front. He maybe still be, but he looks like he's in Patricia's doghouse. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he got inactive the first week. Exactly, it's he's a healthy scratch. Yeah, Deshaun Hand has been a bright spot. He's been one of the better defensive tackle rookies in the league. But Devon Kennard, another nice piece. Their secondary looks great. It's Gerard Davis in the middle of this line have been a disappointment. And Patricia's got to figure out a scheme where he's able to work around Gerard Davis's limited ability to cover because he cannot cover anyone. And I think they've seen it for two years. You saw it on that play against Zeke. He's a liability in pass coverage. The thing he does well, he's at great chase down speed. And I think you got to get him in more situations where he's attacking the quarterback rather than dropping back in coverage, even though he is that Mike linebacker, but you got to play to your strengths, and that's one thing they're not doing on defense right now. I, I I think we definitely covered a lot of, as far as recapping the game goes, I, I agree with everything that was said. And um, I guess now I want to shift the focus to, and Trent, I'm glad you brought up that you're not giving up on this team, because here's here's where I sit, and I mentioned it before. I always try to be glass half full. I have to give a shout-out to my uncle, my Uncle Steven, <laughs> who always tells me, you know, you can't give up on this team. It's it's game one or it's believe, game two. Believe, Ryan, game... believe. Exactly. I and, and I think as a Detroit sports fan, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm foolhardy for doing it, but I always have to have some type of optimism because if I'm not optimistic, I can't watch sports. Yeah, That's just how no. it is. Right. So what Trent, I'll start with you. What is your realistic expectation for this team, knowing that they're now one and three, knowing all the BS stats about all oh, teams that start zero and two or one and three, only whatever percent make the playoffs. Because you know, for me, it just it's hard. It's hard to gauge where this team's at because you look at the first two games and go, this team might not win a game all year, and then you look at a game against the Patriots and go, okay, you know, maybe this is the real Lions team. Yeah. They're gonna go blow out the Cowboys. Then you see some regression, and I feel like I go through this every single year. So, I mean, are playoff chances gone? Are you you're still holding on to hope? What do you got? Playoff chances are absolutely not gone. Um, listen, I'll preface everything just by saying that I, you know, I touched on it earlier. I don't think this division is that good. In the past, the NFC North has been pretty solid. Last year, it might have been the best, one of the best divisions in the NFC. So you you look at you know the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is hobbled. I don't think he's ever going to get a chance to get back to 100 this season because. If the Packers do not have him, they absolutely stink. Good luck. <laughs> they they scored they they shut out the Bills. I get it. So on paper, you think you know, but it's the Bills, and they only scored twenty two points. And Aaron Rodgers even said after the game that their offense looked terrible. So yep. I don't think the Packers are that good. The Vikings are overrated in my opinion. I love Kirk Cousins; he's a Spartan, but you know, I I, I just I I don't I don't see him taking them higher than they were last year. So I. Honestly, we got we, we have not played anyone from the division yet. 
And you got the Bears who are off to a streaking start right now, but I don't think it's sustainable. Mitch Trubisky's not going to throw five touchdowns. Was it six? Six, six, six touchdown yeah. passes. He's not going to throw six touchdown Couple passes every Sunday. Some pitches, though. Yeah, yeah I, whatever. Just, right, and and I, I, you know, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see the NFC North as a huge threat. So no, our playoff chances are not gone. Um, looking ahead, you know, the Lions. We got the Packers at home. We got the Dolphins. Um, you got to play the Rams. Is going to be a tough one. But overall, I, I just, I'm, I'm not out on this team yet. I mean, you. I I would agree with that. You can't. It's too early to say that. But if they lose to the Packers, I think the season's over. Oh, I, play, I agree. Yeah, I think I, it's a must win. Yeah, on it's Sunday. a it's a must win on Sunday. You you can't go in into the into the bye one and four. You're gonna go at Miami, who's better than they were last year. But right. you can't lose to the Packers at home because that's a game you're gonna need in the division. I would agree that Minnesota Vikings aren't the juggernaut people thought they were going to be. That defense doesn't look right. It's overrated. Yeah, I would, it's a good point, but I think their offense is a little bit better. I think they'll figure it out on the defense eventually. I think that Bears team, though, that defense is legit. Well, Khalil Mack's a game changer. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not even Khalil Mack. You got Leonard Floyd. You got, you got dudes all over that defense, and I think they're going to be an issue. But I think the ceiling for this team is the classic we're going to go Either go nine and seven or seven or nine. If we go nine and seven, we're gonna go to God knows where LA and get our heads blown off in the first <laughs> round of the playoffs, or seven and nine and get the fourteen pith in the draft and take someone that doesn't have an effect. But the thing I would say though, Stafford has not played his best football yet this year through the first four games. I think he picked it up a lot in the second half. If he can get hot, I do see this team going on a little bit of a run. And he does get hot. That's I would yeah, he does. He, go, he has those four or five game stretches, but it's a play calling, like Ryan said. He wants JBC out, and I understand it. You literally wait three quarters to get into your offense. You this team is strength is on the outside, and they don't use it. They're going eye formation with probably one of the best receiver cores in the league. So, and they can't run the football like. That's why they're not running it, in my opinion. I don't think that offensive line, that's been a bust since they brought Ricky Wagner and Lane over. So I'm interested to think, like, see what you think, Ryan. Do you think the season's over? I, here's the thing. And I think when you, when you bring up the nine and seven, it's, it's hard for me to count, or like the seven and nine, I guess I should say. It's hard for me to count the season to be over until that nine win mark hits, or that eight, or I mean, yeah. I'm sorry, that nine loss mark hits. Or that eight loss markets because it's the NFL, man. I watch the Bills blow out the Vikings and then turn around and get smacked by the Packers. As you guys all said, I maybe I'm crazy. I also like Kirk Cousins, but the Vikings are no good. The Packers are no good. The, the Bears, like it just there's so much parody in the NFL. That you, you see teams, you know, they're great one year. The the Eagles have got off to a shaky start. They won the Super Bowl last year. So Anything can happen. I agree. Stafford's not played his best football so far. And on paper, at least you, I would probably ignore the, the San Francisco game, definitely the Jets game. But on paper, these last two games, statistically, Stafford's been pretty solid. Yeah. But he has such another level of his yes. game. And the problem Completely is, agree. like you said, and it, it, for me, it literally just comes back to Jim Bob Cooter, who, as I said on the show before, if you think Matt Patricia is gonna gonna pack up and leave before he lets go of Jim Bob Cooter, that's just safety valve. That truthfully, I think oh, yeah. was in you, you place just, for yeah. yeah you can play. Get rid of him. Patricia, I agree. People want Patricia's head. Oh, sorry. I was, well, we don't have. I don't have my <laughs> offensive coordinator. So right. see ya. Yeah. So it, it and like you know, it's been the and that's why it's a great segue into the next topic, which I want to talk SOL because I'm curious as to where you guys sit as far as is it dead, is it not dead? And you bring up the only playing one quarter of good football. And I said this on the show last week against the Patriots for the first time in my life. I watched the Lions from kickoff wire to, to wire victory formation. They played a complete four quarters. They never trailed. And it was even in, you know, whatever possession, the second possession of the third quarter, like they were playing great all game long. They dominated a football game. And that's why I got so high on them after that game. Cause I'd never seen it. It was like being like the twilight zone. Yeah, We all were, we all, we yeah. all were high on them but now they game. just, they go typical lions and they only play one quarter and they get off to the slow start. And now Matthew Stafford's got to throw on his cape and go do what he has to do. And it just, it's so tired for me. So I ask you guys, Trent, 
is this SOL, this same old Lions narrative dead? Because for me, in in, in a weird sense, for, I don't know if you can understand what I'm trying to say here, but I think this is a new brand of Lions football with Patricia, with Bob Quinn, bringing in some of their guys they want. I feel like it's a new brand, a new face, but it's the same football, if that makes any I sense. Know, yeah. So, Trent, I mean, is this SOL dead? Can we put it away? Is it ever dead? Um, I think the same old Lions could be dead, uh, and that's probably the most wishy-washy answer you've probably <laughs> ever gotten on the show. But I honestly, I it, like you said, until you hit the nine-loss mark, it's kind of like you can't. You can't count yourself out. Right. So I I'd I'd love to say N S O L. You know what I mean? Yeah, Not yeah, the same yeah. old Lions. And honestly, that's what I think is gonna happen because um you got two games late in the year, they got the Cardinals and the Bills. Those are both atrocities. Yeah. I think those, you know what I mean? I, I'm optimistic. I just you got the bye week coming up, which is gonna help. It is as it turns out, it's better sooner rather than later. Yeah. So from what I've seen, though, you know, you're right. They got to put a full game together because it's frustrating when you watch this team play for the first and fourth quarters or the second and fourth quarters. One thing that's common is they have not played a single good third quarter except for the Patriots game. But if they put a full game together, I got a lot of faith in this team. But if not, I, I, I'm afraid of the outcome. Before I turn it over to Collins, I just thought of this as you were as you were talking. Can you give me a definitive threshold to where after blank happens, I will never, I, Trent Bailey, pledge to never say SOL ever again? Because for me, I will say this as I scripted it. I, Ryan Rabinowitz, will never say SOL, same old Lions again, if and when the Lions, one, they have to win the division, they can't get in as a wild card, and two, Win that first playoff game. That's my threshold. What's yours? So I'm just going to go off my lifetime here. I, I've okay. grown up watching the Lions my entire life. Shout out to my dad. Raised me as a Lions <laughs> fan, right? Um, but the thing is, you know, we've had Aaron Rodgers in this division for years. The Vikings, j- just when Rodgers starts to drop off and you got Bre- the Brett Hundley year, the Vikings explode. So it does seem like there's a little bit of fate there and it's annoying. And it, as a fan, it's just, you know, it makes you want to, drive your head through the wall but (laughs) at the same time i no i don't think i'll ever i i got i just i'm optimistic about it i'd would a super bowl do it though oh of course a super bowl would do it Uh, winning the division of course would do it but i i'm not one to say sol too much anyways okay it is but fair i I, winning the division i would honestly I would celebrate the most I've ever celebrated in my entire life <laughs> yeah. based on Alliance yeah. success. Yeah. Which is sad, but <laughs> Alan, let's let's hear let's hear it for you then. I think the Lions and Michigan State is kind of comparable. Before the Mark D'Antonio area, they called it SOS, same old Spartans. <laughs> and my dad, lifelong Michigan State fan, he says the day they go to the Rose Bowl, Ryan, SOS is dead. And <laughs> they went to Rose Bowl and they won. And they did that through beating they were the best team in the Big Ten. Yep. And they proved everyone they were the best team in the Big Ten. The Lions, the Lions SOL will never be dead, and I think it's been more evident in the past five years as they've had opportunities to win this division. <laughs> With Rodgers going out not once, twice for an extended period of time, they didn't get the job done. I I don't understand why I put faith in this team every single season because they do the same <laughs> thing every year. They build your hope up, and they're never a factor to, to win a Super Bowl. I, they have not been a factor, I believe, ever in my lifetime, and... It's for them to not be considered SOL. I would agree with that. You have to win a division. I think they got to get to the NFC title game. Doesn't mean they win it. Doesn't mean they lose it. Just prove that you're there. And I think that brings more players and it brings a different culture. But I, with the Patricia thing, I don't know if this culture is the right culture. That hasn't proved me anything yet. So it's, and I don't think it'll ever be dead until they win a Super Bowl. I truly believe that. That's fair. That's fair. And and honestly, to answer your question about why you root for this team every single year, it's because you're insane. And, I know you're a crazy and, person. Well, and Trent's and Trent's insane, and I'm insane, and my dad's insane, and my uncles are insane, and anyone who puts on that Honolulu blue on Sunday is insane. And because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, and which is what we, it, it's insane. It's but, like me going to Thanksgiving every year. I'm like, know what? The Lions are going to beat the Vikings this year. <laughs> and uh, up, just kidding. Yeah. We're not going to win the division this year. Yeah. And I'm going to go home on Thanksgiving and stuff my <laughs> face with stuffing yeah. and be sad. 
Well, that's and, and I'll tell you what though, I think that's one thing that I guess part of me loves as being a Lions fan is like this is what we are. This is what we are, dude. Like right. this is this it's is a cult. what we are. It's a cult. You're either riding with us or you're getting yeah, rolled on. Yeah, exactly. And I've always said, you know, that's why I've never tolerated people who, you know, oh, game one, up, oh, season's over, oh, right. yeah. they stink. You got to shut up. Yeah, with because that. because look, if this team somehow, whatever year it is, goes out and wins the Super Bowl and that day finally comes or whatever. Please don't look at me in the eyes after you've if oh, you yeah. you've bought out. We of know this who team. you are. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. We, after, we know who those people yeah, are. Yeah, after week four for the past five years, you've gone. This season's over. <laughs> right. You don't get to enjoy that Stafford's like we do. Exactly. I, I always yeah. tell my friends if the Lions are in the Super Bowl, I'm locking my doors, locking yeah. my windows, I mean, it's I'm turning a... my phone off, and I'm watching it with my family. Yes, that's it. Exactly. Because those are the only people I know in my life who have stuck through the whole thing. And yep. let me just add this real quick. So you guys are both talking about why do we buy into this? Yes. We buy it, and you, by by definition, it is insanity. Yes. The thing is, you buy into it because there is talent. There is things to yep. look forward to. <sighs> the Lions is. have to put Ugh. together a season, oh A God. to B, and they're going to do it at some point. You guys got to stick with it. Yeah. In my lifetime, that's is going to die. <laughs> the thing about the Lions that is the most in, it's an infuriating thing ever is – I'm a diehard Lions fan. I love the Lions. The day they win a Super Bowl, the city of Detroit will burn down. Just a city, It's a football city. <laughs> yeah. They love their football. They love Michigan. They love Michigan State. The day they win the Super Bowl, Detroit down, super fan, they're going to burn Ford Field down. But the thing about it is there's the optimism surrounding the franchise is crazy. Yeah. From like so, like my friends are like, hey, man, Stafford's a top-five quarterback. I'm like, are you insane? He's not a top-five quarterback because – he can't lead, single-handedly lead you to the playoffs sure, every year. Sure, That's my opinion, but this team is so frustrating, and I don't know why I watch them, and I don't know why I get my hopes up every Sunday. I'm like, know what? Know what? Stafford's going to go down here. We're just, defense is going to stop them, and we're going to get this one in Dallas. Just kidding. Gerard Davis is <laughs> called on a wheel route, and we're going to get embarrassed. Yeah, and, and, and before before we end the show here, and we have to take a look at the Packers, and we've kind of touched on it. I mean, Trent, what do you think this team has to do to beat the Packers, and do you see them winning at all? They have to come out firing. You're playing in Detroit. you got to get the crown into it early, manage the <laughs> clock well. Patricia, don't be afraid to throw the red flag. You know, he hasn't been good. so far. You look yeah, good. Great toss on that. Fight. Jim Caldwell was way too conservative, and mm-hmm. I actually like Jim Caldwell, but moving on from that um, – I mean, Aaron Rodgers is good. He's going to have one or two plays where you're like, okay, you can't do anything about that because he's Aaron Rodgers. I get it. Everyone feels bad for him. He's limping away. Whatever. There's going to be a couple plays like that. In terms of what the Lions have to do, the defense has to step up when it matters. That front four, we kind of talked about it earlier, has to get some pressure on the quarterback because I'll tell you what, right now, no one gets away with more holding calls than the Packers. You got to get through the get. You got to get through those guys and get some pressure on Rodgers. Make him make make some mistakes. Get the crowd into it, and um, just just one one small thing. I would like to see Jim Bob Cooter throw Theo Riddick out there a little bit more in the slot sure, because yeah. he matches up great yeah. with uh, the Packers. I I would agree with that Theo Riddick take. I hate when they, on third down they may bring in Lazier Blunt the block. I think you're giving away your hands. Mm-hmm. I think you bring Theo Riddick in there. It's a little more options, but you what, can't you can't predict what's going to yes, happen when you got yes. Theo in there. He's a yeah. he's a weapon, and I don't I think they've underutilized him the last two mm-hmm. seasons. But to beat the Packers and especially with a hobbled Rodgers, who's still a beast, I don't care what anyone says. This team is garbage, and it's literally just you saw that for two yeah. with. For a half against the Bears without him, dumpster he is, fire. Yeah, he's um he's a beast. He's the best quarterback in the league, I think, because he has no weapons around him. He has Jimmy Graham, whatever, but they got to get pressure because he's not the same Rodgers who can get out of the pocket and hurt you with his mobility. Yeah, he that's just not his game right now because he's got that hobble knee. They got to do that, and like Ryan said, they got to establish a run. I think that's the only logical reason for this team to get on a little bit of a roll because I this team can't stand out there and getting the shotgun three times. They're just they can't press protect like that. And I don't think that sets up Stafford well. The only thing I will say about keys of this Packers game is is as you as you mentioned, I need to see Carry on Johnson touch the ball twenty five times. Bottom line. He only played twenty plays. I, I honestly I only think played he will. I think you will see that. Bottom I line. I, I don't I I just I have to see it and if it doesn't work then hey I'll go back to the drawing board and figure something if else I out. If I see a Ladarit Blunt screen next week, I'm gonna <laughs> blow my head off. <laughs> Listen, if that <laughs> offensive line puts together a complete game, 
you give Stafford time to throw, you block for the run, you Lane's establish a back. run game. That's important, though. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I have made the mistake on this show of, and this is why I, I no longer really gamble with on sports, because after <laughs> oh. week one, <laughs> after week one, I said, the Lions are going to go into San Francisco and win, and Just they lost. Win. And so then I go on the next show, I don't see the Lions beating the Patriots. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that. And then after they won, I go, the Lions will go beat the Cowboys. So I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make you guys do it, too. But, hey, I'll tell you what, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. This is a heck of a is show it better, with you guys. better than when you're by yourself? Yeah, you know, it gets a bit lonely. A bit lonely here at times. But Ryan Collins, Trent Bailey, I appreciate you guys being Thank here. You, Thank you very much for, for those of, For those of you at home that enjoyed their voices, they will definitely be back. I promise you that. So that's all today for the Motown Rundown, Episode 8. Hopefully we have some better things to talk about <laughs> next week. But, hey, as always, I'm your host, Ryan Rabinowitz. Hey, you know what? Feel free to tweet any questions, comments, suggest some topics for the show at Ryan Rabinowitz 4 using the hashtag Motown Rundown. We will see you next time.